0: The Drinking Hour on Food FM.
1: Hello and welcome to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode here on Food FM. Thanks for tuning in. Over the next hour, we'll be looking at how wines are judged in one of the top international competitions, what those medals mean, and why we should pay attention to them. We'll find out how one of the biggest and longest standing drinks retailers, the Wine Society, founded back in 1874, copes with the demands of its thirsty customers, especially this year, a festive season like no other. And we'll look at what we're drinking and the trends for 2021. Plus, we'll introduce you to our 12 wines of Christmas across the hour. We've selected a delicious dozen with our pairings covering sparkling, rosé, White, red, sweet wines and something for afters too. All of them affordable, available and most importantly medal winning. So stay tuned for our recommendations across the hour. Firstly, we're talking wine awards. Have you ever wondered what those medal labels mean on wine bottles? How the wines are judged? And who decides what gets a gold and how they decide? Well, we're joined by Alistair Cooper, a master of wine, a writer, consultant and also a judge at the IWSC, the International Wine and Spirits Competition, for which I also happen to judge. Uh, Alistair, uh, welcome along. Uh, Thanks for uh, joining us. Before we start, um, for those who don't know what MW or master of wine means, can you just uh, reveal that to us?
2: I can. Hi, David. Nice to uh, nice to be here with you. Well, a Master of Wine—it sounds very grand, doesn't it? Um, and in a nutshell, I, the, the Master of Wine qualification is essentially, I think, it's acknowledged as the the highest qualification, the pinnacle of wine education in the world. Um, and I think there's around four hundred of us globally at the moment. And uh, it's essentially to become a Master of Wine, you need to well, there's three days of uh of blind tasting so we have to identify 36 wines in total and say where they come from which is uh which is all sorts of fun uh, and then we have to do five days of theory exam so a master of wine has to have a good understanding of the the commercial side of wine, uh, winemaking, viticulture, so what's happening in the vineyard, the business of wine, and contemporary issues as well. And then once those bits are done, we have to do a dissertation, so uh, a, a more formal bit of academia. So it's, it, it took me around five years, David, and, um, and lots of wine to get there.
1: I know. It's it's an extraordinary uh, achievement to get uh, the initials MW after your name. Um, I'm not one, so I can say it. Uh, And um, it should stand for massive workload, really, shouldn't it? It's a huge amount of work, isn't
2: it? it's a lot of work yes and and of course it's it, it's like doing uh, i mean akin to doing something like a phd i suppose but whilst holding down a, a job at the same time so it's um yeah as i said it took me almost five years i think and uh, a lot of blood sweat and tears and but you know it, it it's it, it, learning as you get older is a wonderful thing and the great thing about the world of wine is that we're always learning you know you can't know everything and to me getting the master of wine was just the beginning of the journey really then you have to you're constantly learning and learning from your peers and learning from each other and that's another thing that we'll talk about i'm sure in a minute when we're judging at these events that we're going to be talking about when we with you know when we've judged together david and with other people we all learn from each other and it's a fantastic a fantastic industry to be involved in yeah, well, congratulations
1: on the, the MW, and uh, yeah, that brings us neatly, seamlessly into how you judge a wine. As you say, it's actually, uh, it can be quite a lot of fun, and it's very much uh, a shared experience, as you rightly say, but um, take us from the very beginning. What When you're judging a wine, Alistair, what are you looking for?
2: Yeah, it's a really good question, and it sounds, it sounds very glamorous, doesn't it? And people when i say to my friends oh i'm going off to judge wine today i'm going to be judging you know 60 70 80 wines whatever it may be depending on what competition it's in they say oh you're so lucky and i said well i am lucky i love my job but you know it's something that we do take really seriously um and it's not just sitting there tasting a wine and 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 having a chat with your friends it's really trying to understand and and analyze a wine and what i'm looking for i think you know it depends on the um On the style of wine we're judging but some of the things that i will look for in a wine is sort of typicity or probably better called typicality you know does this wine represent what consumers expect it to you know if we're judging say a a rioca um you know does it tick the boxes of what a consumer would want um is it fresh is it balanced that word that you hear in wine all the time balance where all the component parts of a wine we hope can come together um and and sing as one so it's 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 not an easy thing to do but i'm looking for yeah freshness typicality a, a true expression of what i would expect and what perhaps consumers might expect
1: one of the questions i get asked most often when i'm talking to friends and colleagues about wine judging is how can one wine really be better than another surely there is <laughs> a subjective decision to take there surely it's at least in part subjective
2: yes I think again it, I I get asked that as well you know and and it's it's why do you think that wine is better than others and I think you know we all do have our personal preferences and I don't always I I often will score a wine higher that perhaps actually isn't to my taste it's not a wine that I would go out and maybe buy and have in my rack and um, I try to explain it like this to people this is kind of an analogy that I often use if you're a a music critic writing for a newspaper or for NME or whatever you know that still exists anymore the NME is probably gone but you know and you're listening to an album or listening to a piece of music it may you can often tell if that album or song whatever it may be is 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 nicely put together you know is it well done will the consumers like it is it well made is it is it constructed well um will it sell and you can give it a positive review you might not have it in your in your in your music collection or like a piece of art an art critic can look at it and go wow that has real value i know who will like that um i can see it's exceptionally well put together and thought out or, or it's it's true to its style but it's not something i'd have hanging on my wall and i think those those are the things where you have to be able to, to sort of step back a little bit from what your own um opinion might be of a wine to to, to sort of appraise it
1: externally so to speak. Okay brilliant Alistair stay with us, Uh, we're going to carry on talking about uh, wine judging.
0: The Drinking Hour on Food FM.
1: Now it's time to introduce our 12 wines of Christmas. We've selected a couple of wines across six different styles, sparkling, rosé, red, white, dessert wine and something for afters, a port and a cognac that were all awarded with a top medal And a high score at this year's IWSC awards that's the international wine and spirits competition that we've been talking about with Alistair. The idea here is that these wines are easily available affordable and most importantly they are all really great and we start with some sparkling inspiration. Christmas and new year just wouldn't be the same without champagne frankly Waitrose and Partners Special Reserve Brute 2008, a vintage champagne, and that means it comes from a specific year, whereas most champagne is non-vintage, so they blend for consistency across parcels from different years. But this is a vintage from a year, 2008, a very good one, and it's a blend of the three traditional champagne grapes. That's Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and Mernier, sometimes called Pinot Mernier. And Here's a description of this particular wine from the judging panel, and I was fortunate enough to be on this judging panel, so I can vouch for these words. Elegant, glittering and ostentatious, brimming with piercing stone and citrus fruit aromas. On the palate, an edgy nuttiness, smooth creaminess and rich martypan. Balanced acidity reverberates harmoniously. Its youthful mouthfeel and impressive finish deliver great poise and potential. And if that hasn't made you crave a glass of champagne i don't know what will that's Waitrose and Partners special reserve reserve brut 2008 it's 25.99 and frankly uh, for the quality it really uh, over delivers at that price next english and welsh wine is on a roll it's gone from backwater to blockbuster in the space of not much more than a decade so it would be remiss of me not to mention one of its breakout stars Gusbourne 2015 Blanc de Blanc Brute. Gusbourne is an historic estate in Kent, which dates back to the 1400s, although the vines were only planted there in this millennium in 2004. So it's astonishing that they already have a gold medal at the IWSC this year. Here's the description from the judging panel. Structure, structure, structure. This wine shows how it should be done. Fresh aromas to begin with, which develop into something a lot more interesting. Complex fruit and savoury flavours dance around your palate with perfect acidity to structure the wine. Uh, Unsurprisingly, this wine is sold out on Gusbourne's own website. Uh, That's what an IWSC gold medal does for you. Uh, But it is still in selected restaurants, including the Gilbert Scott uh, in London and also Black Book. And it's at independent wine stores, including Highbury Vintners, as well as uh, Selfridges and the ever so elegant and Mason. And it's around 40 quid uh, in the uh, shops, obviously more in a restaurant, but well worth sampling.
0: Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM.
1: We're talking to Alistair Cooper, master of wine and a judge at the IWSC about the process of wine judging. So we've talked about how you judge a wine. We've talked about the issue of, of subjectivity and how you get around that. The wines in the competition are they really yeah. actually in competition with each other? Because a lot of people would wonder how a Rioja Reserva could take on a Kiwi Sauvignon Blanc, for example.
2: Yeah, no, I mean it's it's not really a sort of wine war, so to speak. I, I know yeah, that, that's a good, a good good question, actually. No, they're not they're not in in um, in competition with each other. So it's 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 very. Well thought out, as you as you'd expect, the process of judging these wines. So we'll go in for a day, and we'll be tasting maybe wines from New Zealand on a particular day. So and and the wines will be sorted into particular flights of maybe ten or twelve wines, which will be from a particular region, um, and and even the wines within that group they're not against each other each wine is judged completely individually um and and then sort of taken in the context of the flight so judge each wine individually and then perhaps there might be certain things that we can look from each wine and compare against each other but they're not really in they're not in competition with each other and there's no set rule of in this flight of wines of ten a wine will come first second third or fourth it, it, it's not ordered like that they can you know, 10 wines can get a gold medal or 10 wines can get no medal. So there's no direct competition between the wines, so to speak. So there's no first, second or third. There's as many medals as we, as we want to give out, really. And what about uh, prices?
1: Because when we judge, we don't know the price of a bottle of wine. And a lot of people would think that was strange, wouldn't they?
2: Yeah, and it is, it, it's, a, it's a tricky one and actually a, a really great one for the consumer as well um especially if they if they go into the shop and find a a gold medal at a wine that's say you know sub 10 quid they know that it could have been pitted against something you know much more expensive it is difficult um to 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 do that but actually i think it's the fairest way to do it we have absolutely no indication of the price we can't be um uh what's the word you know swayed by it we can't be um taught you know, thought into to giving it a higher a higher score than it's worth so it's um it, it really goes to show that any wine that gets a medal has done exceptionally well because we're, we're we're really judging it on the merits of what's in the glass and it's got nothing to do with the price tag it's really what we've thought as judges of that wine so i think actually it makes the process even more valuable for for consumers especially
1: And we're judging blind, of course, it's worth making that point and ramming it home. We have no idea when we're judging uh, what the wine is, only the category that it's supposed to be. And that really is taken very seriously. The, the, The people who pour the wines are hidden away behind screens, aren't they? (laughs)
2: they are and it's you know it's great the organization this year and you know massive massive congratulations and kudos to the to the team at iwsc this year for 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 especially given as you know david as everyone knows the conditions and and the problems we've had this year with, with 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 the virus and etc et so you know they did an amazing job at serving but no you're right we have no idea we know we know what grape variety or what region the wine is from uh, we will uh, know the vintage we will know the alcohol level uh, but we have no idea with the producer of that wine, we have a vague information on on how the wine's made. I think we can we can find out if it's had some oak or if it's had certain you know winemaking treatments. We do have that available to us, but no, we've got no idea. And as you say, yep, yeah, the the wines are served in in screens at the other side of the room. Um, they're behind closed doors essentially, and we get a tray of wine. So if we're tasting, as I say, ten Marlborough Sauvignon Blancs from New Zealand, ten of them will appear by by our sides with numbers on that correspond to what we've got on our laptop that we're taking our notes on. And then they're taken away at the end and we have no idea until the the results are released, essentially, as to what it was we were tasting. So completely blind. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's so important. They're very rigorous with that. And they have to, because, you know, all of us do work in... You know, it may be that some of the judges actually do some consulting for some of these wineries. You know, there, there could be there could be conflicts of interest in some way. So they're very, very rigorous at, 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 at removing that element.
1: It does throw up some surprises as well, doesn't it? Because I remember looking at the results (laughs) back in the late summer and there was, I was judging Argentinian Malbec and there was an absolutely divine Malbec, which we're going to talk about as one of the recommendations a bit later on. I assumed it was 25 quid. It was one of the the very top producers and it's actually from Asda, admittedly from their extra special range, but it's about seven (laughs) quid. Uh, Have you had some surprises like that?
2: i've had i'm all i'm constantly surprised at these at these events and and you know you can't help but sometimes you know if we're experts in certain areas and if i'm you know i i, I specialize in south american wines myself so i, I do you know i'm, I'm pretty up to date with what's happening in chile and argentina and when i'm judging those things i can't help sometimes but you know while i'm tasting go, god that's a that's a fine wine that's a great wine and I'll sort of try and second guess myself what it what it might be in the back of my head and then when the results come out I look at it and I think was I you know is that what it was and often yeah you'll find something and go goodness me I was not expecting it from Ada for, for the producer or have not heard of that producer or look at the price point and that yeah there's some really really nice surprises and you yeah I, I'm, I'm always dumbfounded sometimes and, and sometimes it goes the other way you have a wine that you know you think really should have done better a producer that you might know or maybe don't know and and it comes out that it's a you know 30 40 50 60 pound bottle of wine and it hasn't done very well at all so it goes yeah it does go both ways okay alistair stay
1: with us and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the wine judging process at the iwsc
0: the drinking hour on food fm
1: time to revisit our 12 wines of christmas now and our next couple of wines are both rosé Rosé? Really? It's the middle of winter, I hear you say. Well, rosé actually works very well in winter. It might be synonymous with summer afternoons by the pool and picnics in the forest, but it has great acidity and the best examples show some real red fruit complexity too so it works every bit as well if not better sometimes than a white wine or a red wine especially when it's paired with fish it's sensational with smoked salmon or any kind of salmon presentation And grilled prawns with aioli works really well with that cut through acidity, cutting through the garlic aioli. Uh, It's also a revelation with spicy foods. I love a good rosé with a Thai green curry or a Massaman style uh, nutty curry dish. So if you haven't tried rosé and curry, then please do and remember where you heard it first. How about a pink sparkler first? Uh, This one's great value. Co-op Special Cuvée Rosé Brut NV, so that's non-vintage, is made by Vinicola Zonin uh, and it's produced in the Prosecco region. And although it isn't yet classed as a Prosecco, uh, uh, it may well change to become a pink Prosecco because the Prosecco DOC, that's the body in charge of regulating uh, Prosecco DOC wines, has just started to permit pink Prosecco. So I reckon in 2021, we'll all know all about uh, pink Prosecco. But here's the uh, recommendation and the words of the judges. A complex nose of strawberries and cherry blossom leading onto a fuller red fruit core. Full feel with direct and pleasing finish, leaving a sherbet note. So perhaps one for festive smoked salmon canapes there. And this is a great wine for £7 because that's the price at the co-op. When it comes to Pretty in Pink, Provence Rosé has demonstrated to the world that pale is interesting... Winemaking in the region goes back centuries, but it's only in the last couple of decades, really, that the world has woken up to the charms of delicate, dry Provencal rosé. So here's a recommendation from the IWSC Awards this year. Mirabeau Classic 2019, a blend of the classic Provence grapes led by Grenache with the Syrah and saint all blended together because Provence rosé is all about blending you uh, see a mix of different grapes in the uh, in the bottle and uh, this is from one of the three van de Provence appellations uh, the Cote de Provence this one's from Uh, the other appellations by the way are the Cote d'Aix-en Provence and the Coteau Valois and they each bring different shades because Provencal Rosé is is all about sort of shades of difference, really. Uh, Well worth uh, experimenting, though. And this wine's made by uh, an English couple, Stephen and Jenny Cronk, who established their winery in 2010 after moving to a new life in the south of France from southwest London, which just sounds really envy-inducing, doesn't it? And here's what the judges commended. Strawberry with hints of rosehip on an aromatic nose, generously red-fruited with underlying zesty grapefruit, balanced round structure plenty of grip and that is just 11.99 at waitrose so give yourself a blast of summer energy on a cold winter's night uh, with a glass of rose
0: online on smart speakers and on listen again this is food fm
1: you're listening to the drinking hour with david kermode here on food fm And we're joined by Alastair Cooper, Master of Wine and Judge at the IWSC. And uh, we were talking about the judging process Uh, and about some of the surprises it throws up, Um, but uh, let's talk about what it means to the producers on the receiving end of these awards, because uh, I co-hosted the virtual version of the awards ceremony this year, and it is so heartening to see how much it means to these people on the other side of the world, up at five in the morning to watch the results. It means a lot, doesn't it?
2: It does, and yeah, great job on the on the awards. By the way, obviously, again, it's, it's been a tricky year, and I think you you know the team did really well. So yeah, well done on 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 presenting that. And yeah, you know, back to what it means to the producers. You know, there for for the for the producers. You know, for, for for both size size of producers. So we're looking at small small producers, maybe that that don't produce it much, and then you've got larger producers that maybe produce millions of bottles a year. And for both, it's really instructive important um and can uh, can open a lot of doors because for the smaller producer they get the chance to put their wines in front of experts of of some of the leading experts in the world and for the larger wineries as well they get to benchmark their wines against other uh, against their competitors and you know in we all and i get asked this and i bet you to you do as well david by by people you know how do i it's one of the questions i get asked the most by by people is if I go into a supermarket, what should I be buying? You know, and they'll say, oh, my partner buys on, on, on pretty labels. And I always go for Rioca because I like Rioja, you know, what should we be looking at? And consumers are faced by a wall of wine. if you go into any of the supermarkets and you don't know much about wine, it's quite daunting and it's very easy to just go with, 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 with what you know, um, or for that, you know, reach for that pretty label. But if, uh, a wine has a label on it and it has, a, say, a medal, a gold medal or something, it's another proxy for quality. It's another something that the consumer can hang on to. And it really does offer, you know, going back to the producer, it gives them a real point of difference when these wines are on their shelves. Um, and as I said, they've been put in front of experts, been blind-tasted, and uh, and have been judged on their merits not on their price point but on what's in the glass so yeah it's it's really heartening to see and it's great when as you said producers are up at five o'clock in the morning and get excited about their wines doing well as they should because it can be really really important for them
1: and it's uh... a a cottage industry now awards isn't it so you have to be a little bit discerning about um, who the award is actually from because I've noticed um, on certain cheaper wines Mm. in certain continental hypermarkets you see these discs on the wine bottles that indicate there is an award of some kind actually you have to look at what that award actually says don't you
2: you, you do there's all sorts of unscrupulous and sort of nefarious things that i've seen happen just, yeah, it happens seems to happen a little bit more on the continent um i've seen some interesting medal lookalikes in 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 france mm-hmm. um whilst perusing the, the shelves of the the hypermarkets in in the south of france but yeah you do need to be careful and I think that's why looking for you know I we're talking about the IWSC and 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 as you know as well you know we just together the 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 quality is is superb there you just look around the room and you've got masters of wine you've got master sommeliers you've got leading experts in their region you've got top yeah the the top guys in their field and and you do need to yeah look a little bit carefully about about who's awarded this wine because some of them may have just have been tasted in house by the winemaker and he's given himself a ninety five points and, and some sort of <laughs> some some interesting looking stickers. So yeah, look carefully and, and if you look for the IWSC, this you know, this is the answer I always say to people, look for these medals. I judge for these guys and I know I'm I'm there and I see you know, how, how much they, they care about it and how, how how much we care about it as judge. We, we enjoy it, but we really do take it seriously. So, yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a good thing to look for. Great. All right. Well, stay with us uh, for one final chat, Alistair.
1: Coming up shortly, we're going to find out what happens when the judges don't agree on something.
0: The Drinking Hour on Food FM.
1: Our journey through the 12 wines of Christmas takes us to a white Christmas now for our next pair. And firstly, a grape variety that's sometimes unfairly maligned, Chardonnay. I meet people who say, oh, I don't like Chardonnay. Well, sometimes what they don't like is actually just badly oaked Chardonnay. It went through a phase, particularly from Australia about 20, 25 years ago, where kind of cheap, cheap, oak staves were used which is a bit like putting a bag of kindling in a vat of wine not a good idea but uh, when chardonnay uh, has this affinity with oak when it's properly oaked when it's well integrated it is the most wonderful thing and our first example is an got a belting 97 points at the iwsc winning a gold medal it's bouchard Finlayson mission vale chardonnay 2018 from south africa from the hemelonard valley uh, from an incredible and very experienced producer Uh, the name mission vale stems from the mission hospital established to help victims of leprosy in the early 19th century on what would later become the bouchard Finlayson property and these uh, poor leprosy victims were marched off to the sea water because it was thought to help them, uh, because this vineyard is right beside the sea, which explains some of its wonderful minerality. Uh, this wine is a treat and it's £24 at Gerard Seal, uh, less if you buy a case. Uh, I'm delighted to say I was also on the judging panel for this one and I remember the wine well, uh, though of course we were judging blind as we've been discussing with, uh, with Alistair. Uh, Here's the notes. Very classy wine with nicely judged oak that adds vanilla spice to the tropical fruit and toffee apple flavours. Perfectly poised with crisp acidity and an elegant long finish. Staying in what we laughably still call the new world, uh, here's a cracking Marlborough Sauvignon uh, that's so Graham Norton. It scooped a silver at the IWSC awards and it got 91 points a result of his partnership with Invivo Wines. Uh, he actually owns some of the company, and he apparently gets stuck in uh, with the blending too. Uh, it's branded as Graham Norton's own Sauvignon Blanc, and we the judges said, typical Marlborough nose, gooseberry, lychee and tropical notes, pretty citrus and tropical flavours with papaya and pineapple standing out, charming and sustained finish. And what's more, this is only £9.50 at Tesco.
0: Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM.
1: We're talking wine judging with Alistair Cooper, master of wine and a fellow judge at the IWSC. Uh, Alistair, we can't sort of... End without talking about what happens when the three judges don't agree on a wine because, of course, as we were saying earlier, there is naturally an element of subjectivity here. So, just talk us through how many people have opinions on a
2: specific wine. Well, yeah, then it gets really serious fisticuffs at dawn and all that. No, it's uh, this is this is that's the really fun bit because, so the way we judge, we all taste, say it as again, I use let's say we've got 10 wines in front of us. And we taste the wines completely individually. We don't talk about it. Um, and I might score a wine considerably higher than you might, David, or or or, or, or the other way around. And uh, then we go through our scores at the end. So we all do it blind, and then we go through at the end and say, what did you give it? What did you give it? What did you give it? And you do. I mean, it's amazing, actually, how how often we're all in tune. But there will be some times where, where we don't we don't agree on on a wine and that's where it's really important to just step back actually and it is possible we all miss certain things in certain wines we maybe don't understand the style of the wine we maybe were weren't you know just miss a certain thing so this is where it's so important to have that um that conversation between the judges and it, it can it, it never gets heated shall i say but you know it's it this is where we have that we also have a roaming Uberlord judge who we call in for any disputes where we've got three judges who maybe don't agree on a wine then we call in the the uber Lord who who wanders around the room like darth vader and 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 comes over and he tells us you know he he's the one with the final say essentially and we'll listen to everyone and come up with a with a with a final decision but it's those are the really fun bits actually because very often you you you'll agree that maybe maybe you kind of got it wrong you missed something and by listening to your to your fellow judges that's where you can 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 really learn as well but it's no the the conversation is a really fun bit it's really interesting when
1: the uh, the Uber Lord, as
2: uh, you referred to that uh, <laughs> yeah.
1: a man or woman in that uh, in that sort of master role, uh, comes across. I remember yeah. it back in summer uh, a, a conversation where uh, we'd uh, we'd just given a gold, but there had been some disagreement, and then the Uber Lord came over and said, "Did you guys talk yourself into this?" And we all looked a bit sheepish. <laughs> and it's interesting. It just it is a really good safeguard, isn't it?
2: It's a really good safeguard because you, you can and, and you do have that when we know when we were judging, you know you find you get really excited about a certain style of wine and, and maybe you've got you know it's, it's it's an underperforming flight and you've got one wine in there that you you think you all agree on and then you, you do you talk each other up you go it is good, it is good. And then you end up sort of whipping yourself into this 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 frenzy of being really excited about this wine and it's just good to have that one person as you say, that's slightly removed that can come over and go, yeah, I see what you mean, but I think maybe you're either getting too excited or not excited enough. It does work both ways. So, it's, as you say, it's that safety net. It's that extra person that's there just to uh, – and that's what's brilliant, you know, because you need – there's so many layers of, uh, to this competition where, you know, it's individual, then your team, and then the, and then the uber lord or lordess um, or lady who, who comes over and, and, and has the final say, but always listens, you know, because there is no, there, there is no right or wrong with these things. Um, but there's always, there's always fun discussions to be had. Alistair, thank you very much
1: indeed. Final question, what are you going to be drinking? Is there something special you have in mind for your
2: uh, Christmas Day table uh, this year? Oh, good question. Do you know what? I hadn't even it's been such a funny year I haven't even thought about that yet, but I will I will be going to my parents' house and I keep a lot of my wine stashed away there so it's out of reach on normal occasions. So I've got some nice wines in, in the cellar there. I always like to have a glass of Madeira at some point, a bit of a big madeira fan but i will go and rummage in there and it will probably be, probably be fairly classic there'll probably be some english sparkling to kick off with uh and then and then probably some old claret because i'm a traditionalist
1: wonderful sounds great well thank you very much indeed uh, for telling us all about the uh, judging process and uh, enjoy that uh, festive meal alistair thanks very much Cheers. Thanks, David. Take care.
0: The Drinking Hour on Food FM.
1: You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode here on Food FM. Have you ever wondered how wine retailers get set for the busiest time of the year, the festive season? The Wine Society is Britain's oldest cooperative society. It's owned by its members. And in my humble opinion, it also has uh, one of the very best wine ranges and some of the most competitive prices, too. I've been a a member uh, since, oh gosh, since I was about 21, which is a long, long time ago. Uh, Freddie Bulmer is a wine buyer for the Wine Society and he's uh, joining us now. Hello, Freddie. Hi, David. Tell us a bit, first of all, about the Wine Society. For those who are not a member or who have never heard of it, uh, tell us uh, what it is and, and, and why it exists.
3: So uh, the Wine Society is actually, technically speaking, the oldest wine club in the world. Um, but that does make it sound rather more sort of exclusive than it is, uh, because actually it's a club that we we you know we welcome anyone to join. And really, it's it was set up just to celebrate excellent wine. the The whole point of the Wine Society is to be able to source the best wines from around the world for members of the society for the best price possible. So. We're actually a, a non profit maximising cooperative, to use the
1: technical term. Wow, that's a mouthful, isn't it? Um, and uh, <laughs> tell us a bit about how you got involved because you've worked your way up through the society, haven't you?
3: I have indeed, yeah. So I actually, previous to the Wine Society, worked for a couple of little indie merchants. Um, but, you know, I was a real admirer of the Wine Society and really wanted to get a foot in the door. So, I mean, going back quite a few years now, I started in the member services department. So, uh, you know, answering the phones, taking orders, giving wine advice and that sort of thing. And after doing that for a couple of years, there was this sort of almost dream position created uh, of a trainee buyer, which I thought, well, I mean, I'd be crazy not to apply for that because that's, that is exactly the sort of job that I would have, you know, that I wanted to do. And uh, by, you know, just sort of of good fortune, I was lucky enough to be offered the role, which got me into the buying side of things. So then I spent a few years kind of working my my way up from there, really. And, and now I'm lucky enough to be buying for regions and countries such as Australia and New Zealand, as well as some of the more sort of off the beaten track regions. Uh, you know, I work very
1: closely with Austria and Eastern Europe as well. And tell us about what being a wine buyer actually means i mean the title sounds obvious enough but this is a complicated job you're you're choosing uh, what we're going to have and you're negotiating the deal as well i assume
3: absolutely yeah it's um it's every bit as much the the dream job as as the title wine buyer suggests to be honest you know i, I really do have to pinch myself sometimes but Essentially, the job is all about being on the pulse of, uh, you know, what's hot and what's not in the regions that you that you work with or source wines from. So my job really involves uh, having an ear to the ground in, in, say, Austria, for example, as one of the regions that I that I work with and seeking out, you know, what I believe are the, the best value, most delicious wines that I can find and as you say you know negotiating prices and, and that sort of thing but and, and that's something that we're really keen to do as fairly as possible at the wine society you know we want to make sure that we're offering the best value possible to our members um, uh, but you know we also really believe in long-term strong relationships with our suppliers so it's all about really you know cooperating uh, quite literally and so uh, as a buyer, I, I, I put the range together of the wines that we offer from, from the regions that I'm responsible for. It involves a lot of tasting, uh, which, I, you know, can't complain about. My, my dentist uh, gets a lot of business, um, but uh, it's really just a very broad and very sort of
1: fascinating role, I would say. And tell me about Christmas at the Society, because I was lucky enough to come around your HQ in Stevenage in Hertfordshire a few years ago. And for me, it was a a bit like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory because I'm a massive wine fan. So seeing wine everywhere, everywhere you look is wine, generally in cases, forklift trucks, a hive of activity. And that was not even at Christmas. It was so, so busy then. So how do you cope with Christmas? Presumably most of your demand comes in the festive season, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, Christmas is obviously a very, very uh,
3: important time of year for us. Uh, We are lucky enough to be in a sort of a position as a business where actually, you know, we're strong throughout the year, which is... uh, frankly a real real privilege you know and I think that's probably partly to do with having really engaged uh, you know wine loving members as opposed to people who might sort of dip in and out I suppose. Uh, but Christmas is absolutely a, a really important time of the year for us and we certainly see a real spike in demand, a spike in sales and obviously a huge spike in what has to come in and out of our warehouse. So. You know it's it's kind of all hands on deck really at this time of year uh, but also i think it's the sort of the most exciting time of year you know it, it runs like a well-oiled machine we we bring in a number of sort of temporary christmas staff to help us out with the increased demand in both the member services department and the warehouse you know so they really really are vital to us kind of getting through um and also you know uh, we have our own fleet of Wine Society vans, you know, they're busy throughout the year anyway, but I really think that they are, there are elves, if you like, who help to kind of deliver Christmas to our members. So they're a real kind of
1: key part of the experience as well. Yeah, I... Never got as excited as when the uh, regular driver who used to deliver my wines uh, would uh, would appear through the, uh, the window. So I know all about the uh, <laughs> the, the attachment, actually, as a, as a customer that you uh, that you have with your uh, Wine Society delivery van uh, driver. Um, we're going to come uh, to talk about Christmas and what we're drinking shortly. And I also want to talk about what we're going to be drinking next year, too. So stay with us,
0: Freddie. The Drinking Hour on Food FM
1: Next it's the turn of red in our 12 wines of Christmas and we have a couple of winter warmers for you. First a grape that sometimes divides opinion to be honest but this wine united the judges at the IWSC who gave it a gold medal and 95 points. It's a pinotage, a crossing of Pinot Noir and Sanso, created in South Africa almost a hundred years ago, and this wine is from Darling Cellars. It's their brilliantly named Chocoholic Pinotage 2018. Here's what the panel said. Bold berry fruits shine against a backdrop of earthy dried herbs. Abundant ripe juicy blackberries fill the mouth in velvety opulence dusted by vanilla glow. A bruised apple finish is like a deep breath of dusky autumn air, just divine as is that tasting note, frankly. Uh, Well done to that particular judging panel. I'd say it sounds like the perfect fireside wine, and I suspect probably pretty good with a bar of chocolate too. And it's just £10.70 at Frontier Fine Wines, so pretty good value too. Now, everybody loves a Malbec these days, and it makes a wonderful winter wine, especially with a bit of altitude. I love altitude because you get higher acidity, and also you get... Hot sunny days and cold winter nights, which really locks in the freshness in the wines. Uh, Malbec, the grape, is from southwest France, but the Argentinians have really made it their own. And I was on the judging panel that awarded this wine a prestigious gold medal, despite its far from hefty £7.50 price tag, because of course we don't get to see those prices asda extra special malbec 2019 comes from the san juan region and if you know the region you'll recognize the stunning image of the andes on the label uh, which is looks really great actually and really evocative too Uh, we described this wine with this tasting note lilac and lavender bloom through the nose and palate while morello cherry and blackberry meld with sweet and savory herbs in endless complexity Fresh acidity and gentle tannins corral intense depth with languid skill, while the finish displays arresting grainy hints. Wonderful typicity. And that is not bad for £7.50.
0: Online, on smart speakers, and on Listen Again, this is Food FM.
1: You're listening to The Drinking Hour with uh, David Kermode here on Food FM, and we're talking to Freddie Bulmer, who's a wine buyer at the Wine Society. So we were talking about the logistics at Christmas, what are we drinking uh, this festive season? That's a really good question. That
3: is, of course, the, the real mummy question, I suppose. Uh, you know, we, we obviously see um, a lot of people drinking the classics at Christmas. You know, that's the same for every Christmas. Things like Bordeaux, Burgundy, Rioja and so on. But this Christmas in particular, we've seen uh, places like Greece for example, Austria, um, you know, some of these slightly more off the beaten track regions also doing really, really well, you know, Germany, for example, as well. So as much as the the classic regions are always strong, it's great to see these, these sort of slightly less usual, let's say, uh, wine regions
1: doing really, really well too. And... Uh... Across the year, what are your most uh, important wines? What are the biggest selling wines across the the main categories? Well, actually, our
3: two biggest selling wines both come from our uh, own label range. So, we have uh, a range that's called the Societies, uh, the Societies range. So they they are your sort of any day drinking best example, best value uh, of their type sort of wines. And above that, we also have our exhibition range, which is, I guess you could say, is the the own label fine wine range. But both of our best selling wines, the best selling white and red, are from the Society's range. And that's the Society's White Burgundy and the Society's Claret. So somewhat uh, safe options, you could say, but they both have for years consistently delivered sheer deliciousness at a very,
1: very reasonable price. And it's worth saying that uh, with uh, Burgundy particularly, but also with uh, Claret to an extent, it has become more challenging to buy at that price point, hasn't it?
3: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, Burgundy is known for being a really difficult one when it comes to finding good examples under, under, say, £15, to be honest. You know, Chardonnay and Pinot from Burgundy don't come cheap often, but... I think, you know, we're lucky at the Wine Society. We have a really, really experienced buying team. I mean, you know, I can't count myself in this just yet because, you know, I've only been doing it a fraction of the time that some of my colleagues have. And for me, you know, I find myself in awe of the experience that I'm surrounded by. But, you know, our Burgundy buyer, Toby, has been working with Burgundy for a long time and, and, and Tim, who buys Bordeaux, also extremely experienced. So I really do feel that, you know, if, if there's anybody in the business who can find really good value Bordeaux and good value Burgundy, they're the
1: guys. Yeah, absolutely. If you get caught with uh, Toby at a, a press tasting and you ask him a few questions, you'll be there half an hour. He, he is just a fascinating kind of mine <laughs> of information. Uh, he really is, isn't he? He's like, a, he's
3: like a sort of a human wine encyclopedia on legs, in the nicest way possible.
1: <laughs> you talked about Greek wines there, and this is a category I'm really interested in. And you've seen some real growth, albeit from a very low base, in interest in Greek wines, haven't you?
3: Yeah, Greece really seems to be a very hot region at the moment in terms of, you know uh people's interest uh which is great because you know the, the wines from greece i believe have been excellent for for a good while now it's seen a bit of a quality resurgence in the last few years where people have it's taken a slightly modern more modern approach to their winemaking. let's say and i think that's that is really uh, reflected in the wines that we're now seeing on the market so Greece has been something that we've ticked over with nicely at the Wine Society for a good few years and always had a few Greek options, uh, which although it it wasn't the the largest range of wines that we offered, we felt that the ones that we did offer were really super value and shouldn't be missed. And I think due to steadily chipping away at Greece uh, over the last few years, people have really started to take note, which is fantastic. And we've worked very closely with a number of producers for quite some time, such as Apostolos Thimiopoulos, who's up in the north of Greece and who makes the most amazing red wines. Uh, You know, he's gained a real kind of cult following um, amongst our members. But then in the spring of this year, we launched the Society's Greek White, which was the first own label Greek wine that we had done at the Wine Society. And, you know, I was confident when it came to, to blending this wine that it was going to do well, but I think we've all been completely blown away at just how well it's done. I mean, it really shows that people are super keen to kind of
1: to, to try Greek wine if they haven't before, and crucially, they're coming back for more. And uh, that leads us neatly into one of my favourite wines. Uh, the grape variety is Asiatico, and the island is Santorini, which many people will be familiar with from holidays. and uh, Santorini Asiatico is just sublime, isn't it?
3: Uh, it's for me one of the true underappreciated fine wines of the world. You know, it's a, a bit, a little bit like white Burgundy. It doesn't come cheap, but I do think that the quality can be absolutely stunning. Uh, Asiatico is a really special Greek white grape variety, and seems to take to Santorini in particular extremely well, and gives the wine this lovely almost sort of salty character, which makes it such a such a fascinating and Moorish style of white wine. It's really something special that's worth trying, I think.
1: Yeah, if you haven't tried it, then uh, there's your cue. It really is a fantastic wine. Freddie, stay with us. Uh, we've talked about this festive season. Uh, we'll talk about what's coming in 2021 next.
0: The Drinking Hour on Food FM.
1: Our 12 wines of Christmas hit the sweet spot now. Dessert wines have I think tragically, fallen out of fashion in recent times, with so many people dismissing them as a bit sticky. But the truth is that the best examples are to die for. The sweetness beautifully balanced by the acidity. And don't assume, by the way, they only work with puddings because they are fantastic with a cheese board too, Uh, especially blue cheeses like Roquefort. Castelnau de Suderat Sautern 2013 won a gold medal and 97 points at the IWSC this year. I vividly recall this wine. I was on the judging panel and here are the comments. Brimming with aromas of caramelised orange, saffron and ginger spice, ripe apricot, ripe apricot and grilled pineapple... There's a nutty, savoury depth to the palate with notes of chestnut, mushroom and rye, adding a wonderful complexity, a lingering and honeyed finish, divine. Castelnau de Sudereau, Sautern 2013, won a gold medal and 97 points at the IWSC this year, and I vividly recall this wine. Our judging panel comments, brimming with aromas of caramelised orange, saffron and ginger spice, ripe apricot and grilled pineapple. There's a nutty savoury depth to the palate, with notes of chestnut, mushroom, and rye, adding a wonderful complexity, a lingering and honeyed finish, divine. And Castelnau de Soudero is the second wine of the Grand Cru Classe Chateau de Souderoux, and the estate is right next to the most prestigious of all the Sauternes estates, uh, Chateau Yquem, £16.56 at Strictly Wine online for a half bottle makes it incredible value when you think about that terroir. Dessert wines are almost criminally underpriced, I think. And if you're wondering, by the way, what makes the wine sweet? Well, it's sugar, of course, but it's naturally occurring from rot, which sounds bad, but is actually great because it's noble rot uh, from those botretised grapes. Mad Late Harvest Tokai 2017 is another great example from the historic sweet wine producing region Tokai in Hungary. And this scooped a gold medal and a whopping 97 points at the IWSC with the judges saying an excellent example of a Tokai nose with lovely dried apricot, honey, straw and lime peel notes. Uh, the palate's rich and ripe with lovely acidity and freshness. Loads of spice and real finesse, a benchmark for Tokai. And you can find this particular gem at Borders Wines online, currently just £14.99 on uh, promotion, which makes it extraordinary value for a Tokai. And if you haven't discovered one of these wines, uh, then do because it will change your life,
0: frankly. Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM.
1: This is The Drinking Hour with David Kermode, and we're talking to Freddie Bulmer, a Wine Society buyer. And we've talked about uh, this festive season, but 2021, what are the trends, do you think, if you had a crystal ball here? And I guess you need a crystal ball because you're buying wine into the future. What are we going to be drinking? It's
3: a really good question. I think, you know, the classic regions still go strong. You know, I think Regions like Bordeaux, Burgundy show no signs of, of disappearing anytime soon. But we're also seeing people take a few more risks uh, with their wine buying. So I touched on on Greece earlier. We're seeing Austria just go from strength to strength, which is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I'm a big believer in Austrian wine and have been for a while now. The, the quality is superb. And I think people are just waking up to that now uh, and you know Veltliner for me is is a grape variety that's really one to watch going into next year I think also though similarly uh, although we've touched on Greece uh, the Xenomavro grape which is a red grape from northern Greece again seems to be getting ever more popular and it's just down to the sheer quality that's uh, that's on offer you know the, the trick often is getting the wine in front of people but with grapes like Xenomavro and Veltliner once you've managed that, they provide such a delicious drinking experience that people are desperate to come back for more. So for me, those are probably two
1: great varieties to watch. Okay, and your festive table, if we were to come around your place uh, for Christmas day, what could we expect finally to find on your festive table?
3: You're more than welcome
1: to come around, David, if you'd like. It would be lovely
3: to share a drink with you. <laughs> um, and we would probably be drinking. I think uh, I usually have a bottle of good English fizz. Uh, I'm a big fan of uh, Ridgeview in particular. They make some superb wines, Nightimber as well. Absolutely delicious. So I've always got a bottle of English sparkling on the table. And then I guess it comes to, um, well, wines which you can drink throughout the day. Because let's you know let's face it. Christmas Day is, it, it is mostly about drinking. Um, it's a marathon, not a sprint, after all. So, I want something which goes both with the food that's on offer, but also isn't something which you can't enjoy on its own. So, actually, that brings me back to Gruner Veltliner. I've, uh, in the past few years, had a good magnum of Gruner on the table because it's just, you just don't ever get sick of it. You know, it keeps giving more. And, um, For me, I think Christmas probably isn't complete without a
1: good bottle of Bordeaux and a bottle of nice Fino sherry, actually, as well. Oh, yeah, definitely sherry. And you could spend all of Christmas Day exploring uh, sherry, although you probably shouldn't, uh, to be honest. But uh, it's (laughs) such a a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful drink. Um, OK, well, if you're going around Freddie's house, then it's uh, bring a bottle of Gruneweltliner by the sounds of it. Freddie, thank you so much uh, for joining us uh, here on the, The Drinking Hour. Thanks, David. It's been a pleasure.
0: The Drinking Hour on Food FM.
1: Our final double bill now in our 12 wines of Christmas is for afters. And we have a port for the cheese board, perhaps, and a cognac, also great with cheeses, uh, but really good with chocolate too. And both of these are perfect for settling down in front of the fire, maybe with an episode of uh, the Vicar of Dibley and uh, perhaps the remains of that uh, box of chocolates So first, the port. A real bargain, this. I couldn't quite believe the price Uh, for a gold medal winner. It's Graham's Late Bottle Vintage Port 2015, and it's from the famous Symington family estate stable. And the judges described gorgeous ripe damson notes on the nose alongside lighter aromatic cherry and raspberry. Well balanced on the palate with remarkable poise as notes of stewed plums and blackberry tart are offset by fine, well-integrated tannins, giving wonderful structure and length. Uh, As I say, it's on promo uh, until the new year and it's just £8.99 at Waitrose. Uh, The full price is £13.99, which frankly is still uh, a bargain. So do root this one out, Graham's Late Bottle Vintage Port. Now, port labels can be a bit confusing, but basically late bottled vintage, or LBV as it's abbreviated, uh, aren't bottled until four to six years from the date of the vintage. Uh, that's the, the the date you'll see on the bottle. And uh, this means they spend about twice as long in wood as vintage port, uh, so they're usually more accessible at an early age. It's The idea is to give you better value and to give you The experience of a vintage port, if you're not a patient person, you can't wait uh, for your vintage port uh, to mature. Uh, Vintage ports are bottled earlier, they spend longer in bottle, and the expectation there is that you will do the ageing in your cellar at home. Now our final wine from our delightful dozen for Christmas is one of my favourite drinks, a cognac so, it's not a wine, it's a spirit, but it's made from uh, grapes. And this example triumphed at the IWSC with a gold medal and 98 points, which I think is the highest point score uh, we've had in this 12. It's Frappin Chateau Fontpino XO. XO, by the way, means extra old. And this is from the historic house of Frappin, based at Chateau Fontpino, uh, which is said to be haunted. I know, because I've stayed there. It's very scary. Uh, There are dressed-up waxworks, models of the founders, uh, all over the house, and they appear to stare at you. It's very, very unnerving. Now, Frappin can trace its rich history in the Grand Champagne region of Cognac back to 1270, and it's still owned by a direct descendant of the original family. That's uh, quite unusual. Uh, It's also unusual because it controls every aspect of production, including the vines, which are all in the Grand Champagne uh zone considered the top crew so grand champagne if you imagine the region of cognac to look a bit uh, like a dartboard then grand champagne is the bullseye it's right in the middle of the region now this is 105 pounds at master of malt uh, which makes it a treat uh, but it's still good value for what it is Uh, let this tempt you the judges describe rich and bold with an abundance of intricate complexity which is perfectly balanced for a lovely, refined and mellow drink. Enticingly creamy on the palate, with a skillful composition of aromas and flavours from candied orange peel and tropical fruit pastels in collaboration with intense wood, spices, silky cinnamon, sweet vanilla.
0: Yum. Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again. this is Food FM.
1: That's it from the Drinking Hour with David Kermode here on Food FM. Thank you for tuning in. Really hope you've enjoyed it. Thanks too to my guests, Alistair and Freddie, and also to the team at the IWSC for those award-winning wines. If you'd like to stay in touch, then follow Food Fm and you can follow me via my website venosaurus.co.uk. That's V-I-N-O-S-A-U-R-U-S.co.uk, or on social media where I'm at Mr. venusaurus on both Instagram and Twitter. But for now, thanks for your company and goodbye.
0: The Drinking Hour on Food FM.